You're listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. Our prayers that this encourages you in the Lord. Hope everybody is well today. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open those to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26, and we're going to pick up in verse 12 and go through verse 18. Acts chapter 26, picking up in verse 12, going through verse 18. We've, as you've noticed, we've taken our time through um, Paul's defense to Agrippa. If you remember last week, we saw the first part of Acts 26, where Paul is in an assembly, and at that assembly, King Agrippa and Bernice are there on, on their thrones, if you will, seated, and basically all that the world has to offer as it relates to political power, military power, and economic power is present at this hearing, um, and, and as Scripture tells us, they all present themselves with great pomp. And Paul is motioned to give his defense, and, and we've broken this defense down because it is, one, it's, it's very, of course, impactful as the, as the Word of God, but it also has a lot of details and a lot of different aspects that are worth our taking our time to kind of see through that. So what we'll do this morning is, is we're going to just go slowly through verses 12 through 18. And, and, and my hope is that we see at the end of it um, how uh, the spiritual realities that are present in Acts chapter 26, 12 through 16 are, are still, or I'm sorry, 12 through 18, are still spiritual realities that are present today. And the salvation that the Apostle Paul received by grace from the Lord is the, is the same way that salvation is still received today. The commission that Paul was given after his conversion from the Lord is still the same commission that we have today. The year was 1996. That morning I woke up and got into my red Jeep Wrangler. Headed to school, popped in my latest burned CD. Um, I know you want to know what was on it. Um, there was a little Hank Williams Jr. There was some Bone Thugs in Harmony. <laughs> Snoop. The Doors. Almond Brothers. Some diversity on my playlist. But I, I, I headed to school like I headed to school for I don't know how many mornings at that point. Since I was 16 at least and prior to that with my parents. But um, I attended American Christian Academy and I went to school. And really um, I, I didn't wake up that morning with any sort of inclination that something impactful was going to happen that day. I didn't wake up that morning with any desire to know Jesus Christ in a personal way. Um, I, I wasn't actively seeking Jesus I didn't care, to be quite honest with you. I was somewhat content in what my life was and focusing on myself and just sort of living as, the, as life came at me. But that morning I walked into a chapel service, which we had every single Wednesday at American Christian. I don't know how many I'd sat through up to that point. Again, sitting down in that gym, uh, which is now a funeral home, believe it or not. Um, in, in that gym... Um, on those bleachers to hear some dude get up there and teach from the Bible and share the gospel. And I'd heard it over and over and over and over and over again. And I don't even remember hardly what he looked like. I don't remember very much charisma at all. But what I do remember is that when it came time for him to share the gospel, the best way that I know how to describe it to you is it's as if someone turned on a light. I was in complete and total darkness. <laughs> Spiritually. 
And when I heard the gospel that day, through the power of the Spirit within that gospel message, the gospel of the light and the glory of Jesus shined in my heart. Now, now I couldn't tell you anything other than it's true. On the morning that Paul was converted, which is what we have in this section of his defense, his personal testimony of how he was saved and how he was commissioned and why he essentially is where he is in Acts 26. On the morning that Paul was converted, he he saddled up with no intentions of meeting Jesus. His playlist was probably better than mine. But he would have loathed the idea of conversion. Nothing further from his mind than conversion. Nothing further from his mind of other like than the fact that he was wrong in his beliefs and actions. Or this could have been very far from his mind if someone would have said, Paul, you are right now an active enemy of God. He wasn't thinking that. He was deeply involved in destroying Christians. Saul at the time had no desire of turning back. And then in verse 13, if you look down with me, it says, At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. So, so around midday, he and his companions were struck by a sudden overpowering light. Now I do want to note that this wasn't a private revelation. This was a no-doubter for everybody who was present. And this was, in fact, the risen Christ whom Paul had opposed. Now I want to go back to my story. What I didn't realize at the time that I was saved. But I see it now. When I think back before my conversion, um, some things were seared in my mind. One of them was uh, these two young ladies that I went to high school with. One of them's name was Katie and one of them's name was Beth. And, and, and they would quite often look at me and say, Hank, we're praying for you. Seared in my mind, and even though I didn't have any real desire to, to do anything with it, but seared in my mind was also at this time my 13-year-old brother who I would drive to school and force to listen to my playlist, <laughs> looking at me in my eyes with tears in his eyes, quite often saying, Hank, I want you to know Jesus. Seared in my mind was my football coach saying at the end of almost every practice, Jesus is everything. And so looking back now, I I see that that God was actively working and that there were seeds that were planted in my heart so that when it came to that moment of conversion, the Holy Spirit with pinpoint accuracy and perfect timing shot His arrow of conviction into my heart. I think we would agree that Paul thought obsessively about Jesus and His followers. Maybe seared in Paul's mind was the face of Stephen at the end of Acts chapter 7. As Saul at the time, as he stood there and observed as as Stephen was killed by rocks. He he was stoned to death for believing in Jesus Christ. And Scripture says that Stephen, in the face of death, had the face of an angel. I wonder if seared in Paul's mind was the beautiful exposition that Stephen gave in the face of death of how Jesus Christ fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. I wonder if 
It was seared in Paul's mind the fact that he had seen displayed repeatedly an unexplainable courage, hope, and faith from those sold out to Christ and sold out to His cause. These faithful followers that Paul persecuted had no doubt scattered seeds in the soil of Paul's heart. And I think we can pick up on that when we see how in verse 14, the Lord speaks to Paul. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is that how you approach an enemy? In fact, when this double name is used, it's a term of endearment. Jesus used this often. In the Old Testament, it's used often by the Lord. And this is, this, this is relational. Like this phrase, him saying, Saul, Saul, like, like, it, it, like, like there's some substance to that. There's some mercy in that. There's some grace in that. Brothers and sisters, there's, believe it or not, there's love in that. For a man who is actively an enemy and opposed to this Christ. And then he uses a phrase that I'm guessing you did not use this week. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Did y'all use that last week? Not me neither. And I could have, because I was like I was looking at it, you know. I couldn't figure out a way. So what is it? Like the goat. So if you can imagine if we're on a wagon or a buggy and there, there are mules or oxen that are in front of us. So like between the front wheels and the back feet of the animals that are pulling the wagon, there would be these boards. And on the, on the, the animal side of the boards were spikes. And when the animals wouldn't act right or go in the right direction, the master on it, the one that's driving the buggy, would whip the animal and the animal would kick back against the goad. And when he would kick against the goad, he's resisting the instruction of the master and so he's working against it. And so it would take some time of kicking that sharp object for the animal to act right or go in the right direction. Look what Paul says. Verse 15. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And Paul never got over this next statement. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Immediately and forever. Paul was convinced that Jesus Christ was the risen Lord of all. Now remember, he didn't saddle up that day looking for this, hoping for this, working for this, seeking this. God came to him. And now he's convinced. And he would remain convinced for the rest of his life and he will be convinced for the rest of of eternity. And then the, the Lord says this to him in verse 16, but rise and stand upon your feet. And friends, I had to pause there in my preparation because we've, we've spent some time at Covenant Church going through Paul's letters and we understand the apostles' love and infatuation with the grace of God. The apostle Paul never got over the grace of God, ever. He never got over the reality that the risen Savior that he was persecuting met him that day. And when he was 
cast to the ground because of the brightness of His glory and the brightness of His light. Instead of condemning Him and what He deserved, if you will, He stuck His hand out and said, Get up. He never got over it. I don't want us to get over it. I don't want to get over it. I don't want to become indifferent to this kind of grace and this kind of mercy. Verse 16, we're going to read 16 through 18. He says, but rise and stand upon your feet. Now, now I want you to listen closely here because this is how we're going to spend the rest of our time. Listen closely to the spiritual realities that are present. Okay, the spiritual realities that are present. This will make more sense when we get done, hopefully. (laughs) But the spiritual realities that are present and true of Paul, and once Paul is converted... He is to take this message to the same type people with the same type spiritual realities. I know that's wordy, but hopefully you'll see more here in a second. So listen closely. But rise and stand upon your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose. To appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those which I will appear to you. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Listen, friends. Listen to the spiritual realities. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You see, friends, before we unpack that I, I want to point one more thing out that I missed earlier and it's, it's, I can't skip it the Lord had plans for Paul and in Galatians chapter 1 verses 15 through 17 Paul gives us his understanding of the Lord's plans for him but when he that's the Lord who had set me apart before I was born Again, this is, this is important because we're talking about spiritual realities and what is real. Biblically, what is real? Like what, not how we feel, but like what is real. What Paul understood about the sovereignty of God and the providence of God is that he was set apart before he was born. And I know, I, like I'm with you, we go, well, what about all those years before? What about the persecution? What about the casting his vote to see Christians killed? Like, what about all that? I don't have all the answers. But this is a reality in that Paul understood that he was set apart before he was born. And at the right time, the Lord, he says, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. The Lord's plan for Paul was not going to be thwarted. Paul wasn't going to stop it. And you could argue that Paul spent all of the years of his life up to his conversion working as hard as he could. And if it would have been humanly possible for him to thwart God's plan for his, uh, for his life, Saul would have. But he was set apart. And Paul sees that setting apart 
as just another highlight of the grace and the mercy of God. Now, back to the spiritual realities. In, in, in Acts chapter 26, in this assembly, every single person that's in that room is in need of God to do a supernatural work in their life. In this room this morning, and in the room at 9 o'clock this morning, and at 10.30 this morning, and in every room that's met, that wherever there are rooms, the spiritual reality is that we need God to do a supernatural work in our lives. Salvation isn't initiated or accomplished by man. It's initiated and accomplished by the Lord. But the means in which his supernatural work is accomplished is in part through humans. It's through humans. Now, I don't know about you, but did you read Paul's testimony where the Lord said to him, I have appeared to you and appointed you for this purpose, like to, to open their eyes, to free them from satanic power and bondage? I mean, was there anything in you that said, I want to do that? Like, what? Like, I, I know that's to Paul, but like, that sounds like a really cool job. That sounds like something that has some purpose to it. That sounds like a reason to get up every day, doesn't it? Well, friends, this isn't only Paul's commission. Now, to be clear, we weren't converted in the same experience that Paul was. At least I don't think you were. If you were... It would probably be on TikTok by now and everybody would know it. But we weren't converted in the same experience, but in the same way. In that God initiated it. God did a work for us that we cannot do for ourselves. That God gave us spiritual sight. That God gave us spiritual life. That God gave us everything necessary through His Holy Spirit and through His Son in order for us to be saved. So we're not called to the same life as Paul in the sense of our gift sets and certainly not the time of, uh, span of time that we lived. But we are saved the same way as Paul and we have the same mission as Paul. And so the spiritual realities that we're about to unpack are, are still true today. They're true for you, they're true for me, and they're true for all the people around us. Alright, so let's look at the first one. The first spiritual reality from Paul's testimony, from the words of Christ... That apart from Christ, we are spiritually blind in darkness. Now, in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, if you've been around covenant for a while, then you've heard us sort of unpack this teaching, this doctrine of, of sin. But, but, but just as a refresher, what does it mean to be dead? We're dead. What do dead things do? They stink. They stay in their deadness. They're not able to do anything. And so this is a spiritual reality that 
And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And here's fruit from that spiritual deadness. Following the course of this world. Following the prince of power of the air. The spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and mind. And were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And, and just to be sure, that this isn't some isolated point in Scripture. One of the greatest apologetics, in my opinion, of uh, the divine inspiration of Scripture is, is that it speaks pretty low of man. We don't like to think of ourselves or talk about ourselves in this light. But this is a spiritual reality. It was a spiritual reality that was true in Acts 26. It's a spiritual reality that's true today. It's, a, it's been the spiritual reality for mankind since Genesis chapter 3. Dead in our trespasses and sins, by nature children of wrath. Is that good news? No. But there's verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us, say it with me, alive together with Christ. And so spiritual reality is that we are spiritually dead outside of Christ. And so the initiating work of Christ as we uh, hear the gospel proclaimed is that we have to be made alive in order to respond appropriately to this gospel. And then he just burst forth into praise. By grace you have been saved. And you would think he would not even have to say that. I mean, we could say, hey, Paul, like we get it, dude. We were dead and he made us alive. Of course it's grace. Of course it's not our effort. But just so that we're clear on what he's talking about, he says, it's by grace that you have spiritual life. And so spiritual reality is apart from Christ, we are spiritually blind and in darkness. But God has the power to open eyes and give life. When I shared with you my testimony, like literally, like th that's exactly what I experienced. Darkness, light. Now, some of you don't remember a time in your life that you weren't a Christian, and I praise God for that, and you should too. Don't believe the lie that you have to have some story of being a felon and a whatever in order to have a powerful testimony. We're all saved in the same way, whether you're 4 years old, 44 years old, or 84 years old, or whatever years old. If you're saved this morning, it's because God Himself gave you spiritual life when you did not have the ability to give it to yourself. God has the power... To open eyes and give life. Second spiritual reality. Apart from Christ, as if being dead wasn't enough. Apart from Christ, we are under the power of sin and Satan. And, and here's one of the lies of Satan of those that are outside of the grace of God and have not believed in Jesus Christ and think it's folly. Is that they think that they're free. I'm free to do whatever I want to do. But the biblical reality, regardless of how you feel, is that you have a master. And he's wicked. But he's a master who arrays himself in deceitful colors. He's a master that only desires that we continue in our darkness. And he only desires our destruction. And the thing about this bondage, this satanic bondage and enslavement, is we cannot escape on our own.
We don't have it in us. And listen, friends, this is vitally important. We don't want to. The biblical reality is that when we're in the darkness, we love the darkness. And we walk in the darkness. But the darkness leads to destruction. And so we don't see that our enemy is a monster and the arch enemy of our souls. And, but, but, spiritual reality. The Lord has the power to free us. In, in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, it, you, you see it on the screen there, 15 through 16. He, that's Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Here's the application. Through Jesus Christ, He has the power to save us and to free us from this satanic bondage that we're under when we're in darkness, spiritually dead, and children of wrath. And, and our enemy now, if you're in Christ, because of Christ, is that He's disarmed. He is a lion that's prowling around. But listen, because of the work of Jesus Christ, He's a lion that has no fangs and no claws. He looks scary, but He can't ultimately get you. Because the greatest weapon that Satan has against you and I is the weapon of accusation. Satan doesn't have to go before the Father and lie about all the things that I've done wrong. He only has to go to the Father and accuse me of things that I have done wrong of sins and guilt that have been incurred because of those sins. And that's the weapon Satan has. He's guilty. And he would be right. Except for the fact that through the blood of Jesus Christ and through the death of Jesus Christ, that the punishment that my sins deserve, the guilt that I incurred, the condemnation that I deserve, was taken on Him. And so now the enemy comes to me and he has nowhere to grab me. He has nowhere to take hold of me because positionally, I'm righteous. Next reality. Apart from Christ, we are guilty. And again, I just want to remind you, if you think there's redundancy here, I'm, I'm, just, I'm drawing these from Paul's testimony. Apart from Christ, we are guilty. Friends, it's no secret. Guilt is a universal experience. Everyone at some time or another has had the bad feeling of not doing what he ought to have done. Even people who deny that there is any such thing as right and wrong, they set out to prove that ethics are relative, that truth is relative. At, at some point in their argument, they have to come to this conclusion, well, you're wrong for not thinking I'm right. It's inescapable. Every single one of us has had the thought, I shouldn't have done that. I should have done this. I shouldn't have felt this. I should have felt that. Every single human has this issue of guilt. And friends, there are no human means to remove our guilt. Even though there have been incredible efforts to do so. Counseling. I'm for counseling, by the way, but it can't remove our guilt. Making better decisions, I am 100% for making better decisions. But it cannot remove our guilt. There's nothing that we can do to remove our guilt. But Jesus removes our guilt and gives forgiveness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, and friends, please don't let this the familiarity of this verse 
cause it to sort of numb you to this verse. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I just spent two minutes explaining to you, and I could have spent way longer, and there were plenty of articles and all the reading we could ever do and videos we could ever watch on the reality that we cannot do anything with our guilt. And in one sentence, we have hope. Confess your sins. And He is faithful and He's just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Next spiritual reality is that apart from Christ, we have no place in God's family. Now, I do want to make a point of clarity here, and so just hang in there with me. But this is not popular, not even, maybe even among evangelicals that would be, you know, crazy enough, if you will, to say this, is that all human beings are not God's children. I understand the sentiment, I really do. Now, all human beings have intrinsic value. Because they are image bearers of God. But Scripture is crystal clear about it, what it means to be in God's family. And, and, and those who haven't trusted Jesus Christ are His enemies. They're, they're actively opposed to Him. But through Jesus, we are welcomed and given a place. Listen to how Peter says it in 1 Peter 2.10. Once you were not a people, but now... You are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so our forgiveness in Christ and the forgiveness that comes through the gospel is not only a legal pardon, but an adoption into the family of God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now, now I want to draw your attention back to the context because I want you to feel like the compassion and, and as Paul's locking eyes with Agrippa and Bernice and the tribunes and the economic rulers of the day and all the people, that, he's locking eyes with people knowing that, that if they don't turn to Christ, they're dead in their trespasses and sins. They're spiritually blind. Like they, they have all these earthly things, but they're not even a part of the family of God. And so as he proclaims this testimony, friends, listen, this isn't just for teaching. This isn't just for our intellect. That's not what this is about. Paul is preaching this to real people who have real souls and there are spiritual realities that are present and they're still present today. This isn't just something fun to learn about. This is real. Next spiritual reality. Apart from Christ, our faith is misplaced. You know, we, we often think or, or say, I think we, I, I've said it in this way too, like, well, they just don't have any faith. And what we mean by that is they don't have sort of a deity. Like somebody who's a person of faith can mean really anything in our culture. But typically we relate the statement of faith to whatever deity it is that someone believes. But I would argue that every single human being has faith in something. There's something out there that you want, that you're going after, that you're trusting that once you get that, it's going to do something for you. There's something out there that if you can get enough of it, it's going to bring you comfort and peace and joy and all those things you hope for in, in the happy life. Well, that would be the thing that you have faith in. 
And so we're all actually very familiar with faith. The issue is, what is the object of our faith? We're trusting other things that can't save us. One of the miracles of the gospel is is that through the proclamation of the gospel, the Holy Spirit works in a way that the Spirit brings life. And when that spiritual life is given, friends, this is so important. When that spiritual life is given, the faith necessary is supplied. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. The salvation, the faith, all of it. It's all the gift of God. It's not our own doing. And he goes on in verse 9. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Think of it. If if we're banking on our ability to believe rightly about Jesus or our ability to place our faith in Jesus as a spiritually dead soul, like the object of our faith is very weak because we do not have the ability to do that outside of the initiating power and work. Of God in us. And so even the faith that we have is a gift from the Lord. This is the gospel that saved Paul. I mean, think about that. Like, like he, he, he fully understands the whole opening eyes and the bondage of sin. But this is the gospel that saved Paul. If Paul was ever going to be saved, it was going to be because God came to him. If any of us are ever going to be saved, it's going to be for the same reason that God came personally to us. But this is also the message that the Lord gave Paul and us to proclaim. So I want to back up because I I don't want to miss an opportunity for someone's eyes to be open. Because there might be some of you out there that you might think, you might think that there's no way. There's no way that I can be saved. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm doing. And you don't know what I plan to do. What I want you to see is that we have a God who desires to show His power and His mercy In people just like you. And He, in a free act of grace, will burst into your heart. And open your eyes. And so friends, Jesus Christ is is the only way to be saved. There's no other way. It's humanly impossible for us to save ourselves. But the message from Jesus is mouth. And his gospels has come to me. All of you who are heavy laden. All of you who are burdened. And I will give you rest. Which means forgiveness. As we've seen. Which means cleansing as we've seen. Which means a place in the family of God as we've seen. So if you haven't trusted Christ. I pray that you would.
But for those of us that have, we should not think that this is only Paul's mission. 2 Peter chapter 2. We see plainly. This is written to believers, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you sit in the seat today, and as I stand on this stage today as one who have been given eyes to see the glory of God, as ones who have been released from the bondage of satanic darkness, we are bound to this commission. We have been given this commission to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous Light. And so that means this, when you get up in the morning, you, you know, so if you work for the state, you're not going to work tomorrow. Don't be mad at them. But when you get up in the morning, you go out about your day and you see people, people. These spiritual realities are true of those people. Outside of Jesus Christ, they are dead in their trespasses and sins. Outside of Jesus Christ, their end is destruction and eternal punishment. And here we've been commissioned with the greatest story that's ever been told and the greatest story that will ever be told to go and to proclaim the excellencies, not just from pulpits from like the 1800s, but for us to go as you go to the school, as you go to your work, as you go to your neighborhood, it, like as you go, proclaim the excellencies of Him. Now think about, like as you think about purpose in your life, as you think about, man, there's got to be something better for me to live for. There's nothing better to live for. There's, there's literally nothing better to live for that you can go out and open your mouth about the truth of Jesus Christ and someone's eyes open. They're saved. Forever. Like It would be hard for us to say work was boring if we believed this. And I know you students could argue that school is more boring than work. So you have a better argument. But seriously. You think about school, the fact that you're, like for the, really the only time in your life, unless you're a teacher, you're going to be around the same people for eight hours a day for over half the year? Those are people. And these spiritual realities are true. If they die without Christ, they die without Christ. And we have the responsibility as we worship and celebrate and lift our hands about the glories and the excellencies of Jesus, we're commissioned to go and open our mouths about this Jesus. And that's exactly what we've watched Paul do for the last, what, 11 chapters? And that's exactly the way that we receive the gospel. It's because people took it seriously. The commission. Do you long to be an instrument that the Lord uses in helping people make this discovery? That's a serious question to ponder. And it's not one that requires a seminary degree. Do you long to be used by God in the greatest way that you can be used by God to proclaim His gospel and His excellencies 
to the world. And so I want us to close by hearing this personally. And if it helps you to close your eyes to focus, then so be it. Go ahead. I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Let it be said of us, covenant. Let's pray. We'd like to thank you for listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. If you have any questions or would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at www.covchurchtusk.com or you can email info at covchurchtusk.com. God bless.